Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you came to join us here today. We pray that you are encouraged from today's message from our associate pastor, Peter Vischer. Good morning, church. You can find your seat. Sit down. Amen. Oh, what an awesome morning. Presence of God, powerful worship, persevering in prayer together, just so good, just rich, amazing, awesome. All right, well, we're going to get into the Word today. Uh, We're hitting double digits in our Acts series today. We're finally in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read a great story uh, from Acts chapter 10. But before I do that, I just want to recap the last couple weeks um, because I feel like there's a theme that uh, I want us to recognize. And the theme the last two weeks has been that the message of Christ reaches people that some would think are out of reach. That's going to be the whole theme of my message today as well. But two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Greg was in Acts chapter 8, and such a good message. It was called Everyday Evangelism. And uh, in that text, the first verse in that chapter, it says that persecution happened in the church, and the followers of Jesus, they scattered. They scattered all over Judea, and that verse specifically says, and Samaria. Now, I want to talk about Samaria for a moment. Uh, Hundreds of years before Jesus came, I think it was about 750 years before Christ, uh, the Assyrians, they conquered northern Israel, and uh, the enemy placed all of these pagan, Gentile, foreign-worshipping Gentiles, non-Jewish people in northern Israel. And again, over the years, many, many years, uh, those Gentiles began intermarrying with Jewish people. And so what happened was there was this half-breed mixed people that eventually came about, and they were called Samaritans. Now, The Samaritans still considered themselves to be authentically Jewish. You know, they practiced Judaism and whatnot. The people in the South were like, absolutely not. Definitely not. They saw the people in Samaria as like this disgusting mongrel race who polluted their true religion. And so persecution happens in the early church, uh, Acts chapter 8, and the church scatters into Samaria. And guess what happens? Verse 4 of chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, and there was joy, and people were healed and saved. God was reaching unlikely people. God was reaching unlikely people. Still in chapter 8, God gave a man named Philip power to preach, signs and wonders, amazing things. Pastor Greg talked about Philip reaching the Ethiopian kingdom, and we believe by extension the African nations by sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian government official on the side of the road. And we believe that man went back to his country and he shared the gospel, he spread the gospel. There are millions of Christians in Africa today. Pastor Mitch Another one of our youth pastors, last Sunday, Acts chapter 9, he talked about Saul. We're going to start talking about Paul, but before he was Paul, he was Saul. And uh, before his conversion, this guy was like a super Jew, like a super Jew. Mitch said, totally blind, uh, but intellectual, stuck in dead religion, trapped in legalism, lashing out at others. Let me tell you, just because you got several, you know, PhDs behind your name, it doesn't necessarily mean you have an in on truth, right? 
And so Paul's blind. God reaches him in a vision, literally throws him down on the road to Damascus, blinding light. He says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting, Saul. And through uh, an experience with a guy named Ananias, Saul is radically converted. He was blind, but now he could see he becomes the Apostle Paul. Now, today I want us to consider stories of people who are unlikely. Talked about the Samaritans, talked about Saul, he becomes Paul. Who are the people that are unlikely to get saved? But God got a hold of those people. They were unwanted, unreachable, unlikely. History is just packed full of those kinds of people. Maybe you were once one of those people. You were unlikely. You know people in your family that were like that. People said, no way, and God said, Yahweh, Yahweh. (laughs) Maybe we think to ourselves, man, they're sinful. They're unchurched. They're unlike us. And it would seem that there are many unlikely people to get saved. But what I want to challenge you with today, church, is some Christians are unlikely to help anybody get saved. And so it's a two-way street. God wants to turn that around. He has a plan for unlikely people. He saves the unlikely, and he uses the unlikely to save others. And so uh, starting out with a couple stories, a few years ago, a young couple comes into church, and I just want to connect with everybody. It's getting kind of hard in a church of 500 to connect with everybody, but I just want to connect with everybody. Uh, The lady was really nice. You know, we could chat. The guy, really hard exterior, difficult for me to connect with. He was this rugged, big beard, scruffy, wearing camouflage, hunter kind of guy. And the only thing he wanted to talk about was hunting. Butchering animals, shooting stuff, sitting in the trees, that kind of thing. And I'm like, dear God, this is not my person. I cannot take this guy for a latte. Like, it's just not going to work. Um... But what I thought about was, I thought about my older brother. There's two brothers, John, Peter, Mark. I mean, biblical, come on. So I'm thinking about my, I'm thinking about my older brother, John, and um, some of you know John. John, you would not know we're related. Like, you could stand us next to each other, and you might see, like, pretty good family resemblance, but John is this rugged, beer-drinking, tobacco-chewing, big, scruffy beard, redneck rancher kind of guy. He works on a buffalo ranch right now, and he loves to shoot stuff. Like, he's got tons of guns and whatnot. And so I'm just like, oh, I wish I was John, because then I could connect with this guy. I kept trying, but it wasn't really working out, and so I thought I made no impact whatsoever. And so here's what happened. A few months later, and I I didn't even talk to him that many times, this guy calls me, and he's emotional on the other end of the line, and he says, my marriage is broken. My wife just left. He's devastated. I'm like, he's calling me? What? I was like, I was shocked. And over the course of probably half a dozen conversations, I prayed with him, I encouraged him, I supported him, we connected in a significant way when I had said, that can't happen, because he's not my person. And what I would say, I would say to my wife, Chantel, all the time, that's like my brother. That's like John. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, yeah, you have a biological brother like that, but you have brothers and sisters and soon-to-be family members that are just like that. They're not like you. In fact, they're completely opposite of you, but I'm using you to reach them. 
And that's my encouragement for you today, church. Don't ever say I can't connect with that person or I won't even try because they're not like me because the gospel connects people of all kinds. And so my message today is called Unlikely People. We're gonna talk about unlikely people. Let's uh, pray together. I'm gonna pray very specifically and then we're gonna jump in. God, I pray specifically this morning, God, that names and faces of people would come to mind as I share this word from Acts chapter 10. God, I pray that just, just, we would feel so moved by your Holy Spirit to initiate relationship, to have conversations, to send invitations, God, to people that need you, Jesus. There's a world out there that is just not quite connecting truth. I pray that you would help us to represent that truth like Jesus did to people of his culture. And everyone said? Amen. All right. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Verse seven, when the angel spoke to him and had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. All right, so uh, Cornelius is an unlikely Christian. But reading this story, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like he's already a Christian. He's described as devout, God-fearing, generous. He prays regularly. But here's the thing he hadn't encountered Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe he had heard about Jesus, but he didn't recognize him as Lord and Savior and God's Son. And this story, there's a point here that I want you to catch. This story reminds us that there are good people, God-fearing people in this world. They're not Christians. They're not Christians, they're good people. They're moral, they're ethical, they're kind, they're generous. They may even pray, they say, I pray to God but they haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus. They're like Cornelius. There's just a couple more dots before they make that connection. Here's the dilemma, though, with Cornelius. I kind of hinted at this a little bit in my introduction already, but Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not even Jewish. The Jews were steeped in this religious and cultural narrative. I talked about the Samaritans, but they were decidedly against Gentile people. They believed that they were favored at the exclusion of others. And even as I say that, I say, God, let that never be this church that we would believe that we're favored at the exclusion of others. It was common in that day for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer, and this is how he would begin his prayer. I thank God that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave, and that I'm not a woman. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, like that's, that's intense, right? But a basic part of Jewish religion was an oath that promised that you would never help a Gentile under any circumstances. 
Gentile asks you for directions, you send them the wrong way. Like, that's what you do. Um, But it went so far as if you were a Jewish doctor or a Jewish midwife and a Gentile woman came and she's at the height of giving birth, you do not even help her have her baby because that would bring another Gentile into the world. If you were a Jew and you married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral for you. They would consider you dead. And it was thought that even entering a house of a Gentile would make a Jew unclean. And so, get this in your spirit this morning, this profound division, this deep division that's taking place. Cornelius, he's a Gentile, but it's worse than that. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Why is that bad? Israel is under Roman military occupation. He is lumped right in with the oppressors, the tyrants, the persecutors. He's with the enemy. He's the leader of an Italian cohort with about 100 men. And I was looking up these Italian cohorts. They were known to be among the most loyal to the Roman army. And so, Mixed dynamics. How many of you know that God is reaching people with some really mixed dynamics? That's what's happening. He's a God-fearing Gentile who's kind and generous but supports Roman rule in the nation. Wow. Cornelius has a vision. Send messengers 50 kilometers down the beach, along the sea. The reason I say along the beach is you look at a map, Caesarea and Joppa, beautiful, beautiful area, like right along the the sea, awesome. Uh, So send men to Joppa to bring back the second main character in the story. His name is Peter. And Peter, even to this point, uh, he's a devout Jew. Even while being an apostle of Jesus and the leader of the newly formed Christian church, he's still practicing kind of these Judaism things and stuff. So many thousands of people have converted from Judaism to Christianity. Most of them are Jews. And if they are Gentiles, there's separation. They're still carrying that forward. And so Peter and the other leaders, they're stuck between their old way of life and the newly inaugurated gospel of grace that Jesus paved the way for. God desires Cornelius and his family to experience a conversion. I want to say in this message, there are many Christians that need a conversion. There are many Christians that need a conversion from legalism to grace. That's the conversion that's necessary. Verse 9, let's keep reading. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He had become hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open, something like a large sheet or tablecloth being let down to the earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. If you're a vegetarian, I just want to apologize to you this morning. This is not your message. This is, this is a hard word. Get up, kill, and eat. Cornelius has a vision. 50 kilometers away, Peter has a vision. You know what's amazing about that church? Sometimes we think we have an in, you know, with God. You know, we're seeing visions. We're having dreams. We're getting words. We're praying in our homes. Do you think maybe 50 kilometers away or on the other side of our town or our region or city or country, God's speaking to people? God's speaking to them at the same time. God's connecting people. 
Peter's vision was about food, and it comes right around lunchtime. I mean, how awesome is God? The vision includes uh, animals that Peter, as a practicing Jew, would not eat. Every hunter in the room is like, kill and eat, man, barbecue, like delicious, tablecloth from heaven, full of animals. You need to hunt them down. Not for Peter. A lot of these animals he sees on this giant tablecloth, they're not kosher for a good Jewish boy. Verse 14, Peter says, surely not Lord. I'm going to come back to that statement. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. How many times did this happen? This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. And so a barbecue is flashing before Peter's eyes. How creative is this analogy for God to show Peter this? It's lunchtime. There's a meal being prepared downstairs. He's praying on the roof. Food is coming up the stairs. He's smelling it. God shows him this analogy. And it's powerful because dietary restrictions were one of the main things in that culture that separated Jews and Gentiles. And what God was showing Peter was that the barriers and boundaries that separate Jews and Gentiles are about to be removed. In Judaism, there were categories for what was holy and what was common. And so the holy was common. It became common when it came into contact with something that was common. And it could only be made holy again if it went through a ritual cleansing. And so when something was made holy, that was called consecrated. God calls us to be holy. God calls us to be set apart, to be consecrated to Him. When something was made common, it was called desecrated. And so there lies Peter's response. I'm not eating that. Surely not, Lord. No, Lord. I'm not doing it. God says, listen, man, what I've declared clean, don't call common. These are not impure, unholy, and unacceptable. But again, it wasn't about the food. It was about people. God showing him an image about people. Uh, the biblical narrative is just so awesome. You go into the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to a man named Abraham and says, the blessing that is on your life is going to extend past the one nation that is chosen as an example, the Jewish nation, and it's going to touch and extend to all nations of the earth. We're part of that. We're Gentiles. We're Canadian. Wow. Jesus talked about it in John 10. He said, there are sheep that are not of this fold. They will hear the shepherd's voice. They will come in. They will be one flock. The disciples are probably like, what are you talking about, man? There are sheep not of this fold. They're going to come in. We sang about the reckless love of God this morning who chases down the one. Wow. Paul shows us later in Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, you are all one in Christ. Do you know what's amazing about that scripture? I literally just caught it in the first service. I was like, oh my goodness. What was the prayer that the Jews prayed? They said, I thank God that I'm not a Gentile. I thank God that I'm not a slave. I thank God that I'm not a woman. What does Paul do here? It's the total antithesis to that. It's the contradiction. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Come on now. That's amazing. This is the new covenant. This is the company of the torn veil. All of us, irrespective of nation, ethnicity, economic status, gender, whatever else, all of us, the invitation's open. We can walk up to God. We can receive salvation. No favoritism. 
Now, Peter eventually gets there. Do you ever, like, I mean, I can be hard on the church, but I'm kind of being hard on myself too because sometimes it really takes us a while to get stuff. He says, surely not Lord. Another translation, no Lord. No Lord. Can I just tell you something? That is known as a perfect contradiction. No Lord does not belong in the same sentence. If you say no Lord, he's not your Lord. Because lordship means ownership. We listen to our Lord. God had to show Peter the vision three times. And even as I read that, what is with threes in this guy? It just drives me crazy. After Jesus was arrested, Peter was questioned. How many times? Three times. Are you one of Jesus' disciples? Three times. No, I'm not. He's terrified. He's afraid. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus restores Peter how many times? Three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He's reconciled as a leader. There's emphasis that's necessary to get through to people, to Peter. And I just got to say, sometimes you got to knock the coconut really hard <laughs> before it opens. And some of you are hard coconuts. I'm a hard coconut too. Three times the vision of clean and unclean animals. Have a barbecue, Peter. Eat. Three times God is saying, participate. Digest the truth that is coming to you. Get this truth in your system, Peter. There's no partiality. There's no favoritism. What God has cleansed, what God wants to cleanse, you must not call common. Now, here's another interesting connection. This is me just kind of nerding out on Bible scholar stuff. Some of you are like right there with me. You're like, hmm, that's so good. Um, Peter's dad was named Jonah. He was Simon, son of Jonah, Peter, son of Jonah. But the way that Peter is behaving right now, surely not, Lord, no, Lord, it reminds us of another Jonah in the Bible. Because centuries before this, another Jew had come to Joppa, the same community that Peter is in. Do you think the Holy Spirit might be doing something here? The same community. His name was Jonah. He was carrying a message. Was it for the Jews? No, it was for the Gentiles. It's an amazing parallel. Jonah took a ship from Joppa and refused to go to the Gentiles. He ran from God's call because he hated them. He hated the Gentiles. They were an abomination to them. He wanted them dead. And so here we have Peter, son of Jonah. Different Jonah, but son of Jonah, wrestling with his traditions, wrestling with his prejudices. Some of you, I'm just gonna say it, God's gonna cause you to wrestle with your prejudices this morning and your traditions, and it's gonna get uncomfortable. How many sons and daughters of Jonah do we have in the house? Don't put up your hand. <laughs> Let's talk about some application. Have you ever come face to face with someone from a different culture, a different lifestyle, a different political affiliation, ethnicity, religion, and man, they just make you uncomfortable. You're so uncomfortable, and maybe even beyond that, you're kind of mad. Like, hmm, you know, Pastor Greg was in the front row getting convicted. He was like, yeah, like Flames fans and <laughs> Sobies, and you know, he's just like, you know, God's gonna deal with Pastor Greg on that, but. <laughs> <clears throat> go Oilers, go Oilers. Okay, all right. Um, 
But you get this all the time in your neighborhood, you know, at the park, in front of you at Sobeys, at the hockey game, and it's clear that they're not like you. It's their clothes. It's what's written on their t-shirt. It's their language. There's this defensiveness and anger that starts stirring up in you, and you would never make a scene about it because you're good Canadian people. You're politically correct. <laughs> you bite your tongue. Couple of you are not. Couple of you, like, you know, you're just, you're loud and proud, and that's the way you are. But on the inside, most of us good Canadian people were like annoyed. We're like, those people are entitled, they're annoying, God, I hate it, they get all the attention, they're so confused, they're messy, they're messed up, they're taking God out of the schools, they're infiltrating education, they're the only message that gets heard today, they're the dominant agenda in commercials and TV shows. God, are you seeing this? It's bad, they're bad, it's so bad. I haven't even named any group. I haven't even named anybody. And some of you are clenching your fists and your blood is boiling and whatnot. Spiritually speaking, as Christians, we would even say those people are sided with the enemy. They're doing the enemy's work. Satan is all over that, what they're doing. There's an agenda being driven. It's well-organized, it's well-funded, it's extreme, it's powerful, it's militant, it's coming for your kids, it's coming for my kids and it's pressed forward by organizations with values totally opposite to yours and mine. Maybe like Jonah in the Old Testament who God sent to preach to people, you're resistant, and you plant your feet, and just like Peter, do you know what you say? You say, no, Lord. No, Lord. And, and you know, man, Church, we, we can't come to a service like this and nod our head and say God loves all people, God's for all people, God wants to save all people, and by virtue of our behaviors and our Facebook profiles and our, like, we're saying no, Lord. We go out of the way to avoid any interaction or relationship with those people. You fill in the blank, those people. And that's how Peter felt. I mentioned earlier that Israel was under Roman occupation. The Romans dominated them. Uh, just like in our culture, you have zealots. They're the loud ones on social. <laughs> They're the loud opinions. There were zealots in Israel that fought back against the Romans, and they resisted. You know what happened to them? They lined them up on crosses on the side of the road. That's what they did with the zealots, right? You ever feel like you're being crucified on social media if you're for fighting back? There's a historical picture of Israel that gives us a picture of an occupation that is happening right in front of us. And it, it's, it's not, I'm not minimizing it. I, I take it seriously. It's spiritual. It's political. It's social. It's cultural. It's a hostile takeover. It's be careful what you say. Mind your P's and Q's and these kinds of things. And as much as I'm right there with you, in my anger and in my defense, there's another truth that we need to recognize, and that's that God loves people. God loves people. We might not like the plans and purposes of people, but God will never stop loving, pursuing, welcoming, inviting, and including people, and God needs people like you. God needs you because you are a walking, talking, living, breathing, expression of Jesus to your friends and neighbors and people at work, you're the only Bible they'll ever read. They're sure not cracking a real one or downloading a Bible app. You're it. And what happens when those people show up at your door? 
What happens when they start talking over the fence at you when you're trying to barbecue? You know, you're just flipping burgers. Uh, avoid eye contact. Don't say anything, right? What happens when those people, it becomes evident that they have questions about God? They're asking questions. They're seeking. They're wondering. They're praying. What happens when God, God's trying to bring them to you? God's trying to bring them into your house. God may be trying to bring you into their house. Verse 19, it says, While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. I mean, it's like, God, could I like put some pants on first? Like they're, they're at the door. Oh my goodness, wow. I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the, only, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion, the dirty, rotten Gentile sinner who's part of the army? No. <laughs> they didn't say that. They said, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. See, that demonstrates the heart change. That last verse there. Peter invited the men into his house to become his guests. Amazing. This went against every custom of the Jewish people. Normally, if you're a Jew and a Gentile knocks on your door, you kind of push the door closed and you say, it's nice to meet you, you can stay outside. But Peter went against his traditions. He went against his personal prejudices. The grace of God is all over this. The grace of God is mixing and intermingling. Verse 23, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Verse 27 says, Peter went inside, found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. It's like, we shouldn't be at this event right now. <laughs> this is really awkward, right? But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Are you seeing the picture here today, church? Are you seeing the picture? God has no favorite. God has no favorite places. He has no favorite people. God loves the world. And if God were to have favorites, this is convicting. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus spent the most time with the lost, the broken, the outcasts, the faraway people. God's grace is in the gutters of our society. God's grace is in the dark places. It's at the low points. It's, with the high, it's in the high points with the celebrities and the powerful and the prestigious. God's grace is surprising. It's where you least expect it. It's unlikely, which is, I guess, why they call it amazing grace, right? Cornelius outlines the vision that God had given to him. He says, God has been speaking to me. I think you're the guy I need to listen to. Ever have it, like, uh, it happens to me all the time, and I'm like, really, God? I'm just trying to watch my kids bike right now. Um, but people will come up, and it's amazing how much they'll share. It's so evident that God's been speaking to them. Next thing you know, they're unraveling their life story, and I'm like, really, me? Like, wow. Cornelius says, this is like an evangelist's dream, verse 33, we're all here to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. 
The audience was well prepared by the Holy Spirit. Peter was well prepared to share. You're going to have conversations with people, and it's going to become so obvious that God's in it. God's been working in their hearts, and you'll ask yourself, I'm just trying to have dinner with my family at this restaurant. I'm just trying to go for a walk with my dog. I'm just but they're here, and they're in front of me, and they're interested, and they're conversational, and God is using me. God says, serve people, help them, pray for them, invite them, represent my love. I'm choosing you. A number of years ago, uh, I'm going to tell a Pastor Greg story. Um, we were hosting a service here, and it was for, uh, we invite all of the local political candidates that are running to our church, and we pray for them. That's what we do. Happens every four years or so. And it was during the service for political candidates that this young couple comes up to Pastor Greg. And I know a lot about this young couple. Pastor Greg did too. Um, Politically, socially, this couple, especially the man, represented everything that mainstream Christianity has problems with. Like, they could not be more opposite. They were not our people, but they were God's people. They were God's people. And it became obvious to Pastor Greg that God had been softening this man's heart. He got emotional. He began crying with Pastor Greg. He talked about how God had been speaking to him. And it was just this amazing convergence of grace that was taking place that Pastor Greg had the opportunity to minister to him and to pray for him and to love love him and bless him. And what I want to say this morning is I got a lot of neighbors that need Jesus. Some of my neighbors have found Jesus. You know, I'm looking at Jordan and Jessica over there and Torin and Emily right in the middle here. Some of my neighbors, they're, they're just, I, I've got the best neighbors. I love them. Torin brought my kid home the other day that was walking way down where he should. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're, okay. But I got some neighbors that Jesus loves. There's the guy right next to me. He's the conspiracy theory guy. I mean, he shares with me some really far out stuff. And I'm like, the dots are connecting kind of, you know? Um, But he's awesome. There's a lesbian couple that lives across the street from me in the cul-de-sac. And they're kind people. They're kind people. There's the one on the corner with the political sign. It's not the same color as the sign on my lawn. But they're good people. There's the family that used to go to church. They got hurt. They walked away. They avoid eye contact with me when they drive by. They know I'm a pastor at TFH Church. I try so hard just to be kind, to love on them, to encourage them. There are the ones who smoke pot. There's others who drink a lot. Uh, The ones at the end of the call, a couple weeks ago, they said all religions are the same. I'm like, "Mm, have you studied? (laughs) I I don't know if all religions are the same, but um, there's the Christian lady who doesn't go to church, but she's a podcast Christian. She sits on YouTube and watches sermons, but doesn't want to come to church. I don't need the church. There's a few people in our world like that. She's kind of crusty. God still loves her. I need to love her. That's my neighborhood. And you know what? I have a hunch that's your neighborhood too. I have opportunities every single day to be a religious jerk. I have opportunities every single day to be kind, encouraging, prayerful, evangelistic, welcoming, invitational with my neighbors. And you do too. They're unlikely people, but God likes them. God likes them a lot. Lord, help me to love and embrace them. 
At the end of Acts chapter 10, Peter shares the gospel. He says, Jesus identified with everyday people. He was fully human, fully God. Jesus was filled with God's power. He showed us God's will. He showed us God's way to salvation. Jesus died on the cross. He was raised to life in the view of many witnesses. Some 500 people saw Jesus after he was raised. Peter said, God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. It's not just for some and not for others. I mean, this is like, it's like mind-blowing that Peter, Jewish Peter is the one sharing this in the home of a Gentile Roman centurion. And he closes it out by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Can I say that again? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in the middle of the message, yeah, give God a hand clap. Come on. Amen. In the middle of the message, they didn't even make it to the altar call. Salvation comes upon these Gentile people. There's an invisible transaction in their hearts where they put their faith in Jesus, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in spiritual languages no different than what happened at Pentecost with the Jews. This is like a Gentile Pentecost. And the Jews that are with Peter, like, I mean, it's a little crazy. It's like a be careful what you wish for. Be careful who you sit next to in church. But God's going to bring these people. They're coming on into the Father's house. We're going to welcome them. We're going to love them. We're going to share the gospel with them. And you're going to have it too where you're having conversations with everyday people and an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work starts showing up that looks like tears coming from their eyes. They, they, they begin to cry. There's a joy that comes over them. They become vulnerable. They open up. They confess their need for God. And maybe, just maybe, they'll say, can I come to your church? Can I, do you think I could receive Jesus with you today? That's going to be so hard for some of you but you're gonna say, do you wanna do it right now? Can we pray together right now? Like I know that's a little uncomfortable, it's a little weird, and they're gonna say, yeah, go for it. Cornelius and his entire household were baptized, and it just proves the point. No one is out of reach to God. No one. Drop your traditions, drop your prejudices, drop your judgment today. God loves people. God wants to save people. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.